So we're in Philippians, and it's been a couple weeks since I gave you the introduction because um, I was in Georgia while Trent taught, and then we were at camp last week, so it's been a few weeks. But just to give you a brief uh, reminder, who is Paul writing to in Philippi? In Philippi? The church, what? The saints, right? We talked about this idea of saints. Like, so he says, to the saints, to the church in Philippi. And we talked about this idea of saints. And, and this is his audience, and this is who he begins to talk to today as we start with verse 3. And remember that saints, as we talked about it, it's a relational term. It's about a relationship that we either have or that we don't have. Being a saint is not about if you are moral, it's not about your behavior. Being a saint is not if I'm a good person, I'm a saint. Being a saint is not if I do good things. Being a saint is if my relationship with Jesus Christ has been restored. If through Christ my relationship with God has been restored, do I have that relationship with God? If I have that relationship through Jesus Christ, I am a saint. If I don't have that relationship, if my relationship with God has not been restored, then I'm a sinner. Those are the two pieces. You're either a saint or you ain't. Okay? That's the really reality, one or the other. And so as he writes, he's writing to the saints, and he's writing to all the saints. Everyone's included, all the saints, all of those that have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only qualification that he gives them. And as he does this, and I will just tell you in verse 3 and 4, he expresses that he's thankful for those that he's writing to. He's thankful for these saints in Philippi. And this just means this thankfulness, this gratefulness. It means that he understood the reality of who they were. And he was pleased with that. He was thankful. He was thankful for them. He was thankful for those people and who they were. And we're going to come back to verse 3 through 4 at the end, okay? But first, I want us to answer the question, why? Why was he thankful? Why was he thankful for these saints in Philippi, for these individuals, for this church, that their relationship had been restored with God? Why was he thankful? Before we read through the passage, what do you guys think? I, I, I started thinking through this, and these are some reasons. All right, we're going to go through, and I want you guys to choose which one you think. What do you think is the reason that Paul was thankful for these saints? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because that they, that they were special. I'm thinking, well, I mean, if I'm thankful for someone, it's because they're special or they've done something special, right? So I'm thankful for them. 
And so I thought through what are all the ways that these saints could have been special. So one is that they were super holy. Maybe this church in Philippi, they were a group of people that all they did, they woke up in the morning and they began to pray, they began to fast, they read their Bibles. All they did was spend time with God, studying His Word, praying, never ending. When they get done with that, they go back to sleep and start over again. All right? They were super holy. Anybody think that's why he was thankful? Nobody? All right. Next. They were super evangelists. They would just not stop sharing the gospel. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed the gospel. They were sharing with everyone. They couldn't walk by a stranger and not share with them. They just kept sharing, kept sharing. People kept coming to Christ. Anybody think that was the reason? Nobody. Nobody's brave enough to raise their hand. All right. I'll give you more, more opportunities. They were a super community. I mean, they were living together and they were sharing everything together. There was no one amongst them who had needs. It's everything. If it's mine, it's yours. If it's yours, it's mine. We are living together, experiencing everything together. And he was thankful for them. Anybody think that's the reason? A couple of brave souls for that one. Okay. All right, next. They were super compassionate. They were caring for the poor, giving to the poor, walking with the poor. Their entire life, they were just focused outward. They were caring for their neighbors. They were reaching out to their neighbors. They were meeting needs. Their entire lives was about meeting others' needs. Loving on others. All they did was love on others, love on others, love on others. Anybody? Next. They were super successful. I mean, Paul had planted them 10, 11 years ago, right? When he's writing this letter. Maybe they had planted other churches. Maybe they had multiple services. Maybe they had multiple campuses. Maybe they got so big they just didn't know what to do. They had to get a new building. They were super successful. They were just growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Anybody? Alright, maybe it wasn't them. I mean, I've just had about six people raise their hand, that's all. Okay? So we're, gonna, we're, we're interpreting by vote, okay? So it's none of that. There's no majority here. So maybe it wasn't them, maybe it was Paul. Okay? Maybe it wasn't about them, but he could feel that way about them. He could be thankful because, because of who Paul was. He was super positive. I mean, Paul saw any situation, he's like, this is great. You know one of those people that you see, the, oh, I'm so excited, it's good to see you, I don't care what's going on, I'm just so happy, I just can't stop being happy, and man, it's great, it's good to be you, but bless you, joy to you, bless you. So great. Maybe it was just positive, and that's the light he saw them in. Anybody? No, I'm trying to give you guys opportunity here, okay? Nobody still? Alright. Maybe he was super delusional. Like he was just out of touch with reality. Like he, you know, maybe he had gotten stories about them from Philippi and he just didn't know the truth about these people. He was just out of touch. 
Anybody think he's just out of touch? Now the next one, before Rebecca goes to it, as I was thinking through these, I was like, well, you know, maybe it's because, you know, he was a pastor. I mean, you know, pastors, we have special powers. Maybe it's that he was a superman. I mean, he had special powers. I wear this every week. You guys just don't know it. These glasses throw you off, right? I mean, he was just super spiritual. Amazing. Super Christian. That's why he was thankful for them. I bought this shirt just for that. I'll give it to Emmanuel after the service, okay? I was like, who, who, who deserves this? Who would wear this? I'll give it to my brother-in-law, okay? So what do you guys think? I mean, I just gave you, what is that, like nine different answers? Few people raised on a couple of things, but you guys don't think any of that's why he was thankful. So as we read this passage, we're going to see why he was thankful. And I'll tell you that it was not because they were special. And it was not because Paul was special. So let me read. I'll read it in its entirety. And then we'll walk through it. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. And let's answer the question. Let's understand why was he thankful. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's gratefulness, his thankfulness for the Philippians was because they shared in this gospel. And our gratefulness, if you look at the next slide, this is the big idea. Our gratefulness for each other, just as he had that gratefulness for the church, for the saints in Philippi, it's established through our partnership in the gospel. That's how we can be. That's why we can be thankful for each other, because we share in this partnership of the gospel. And it's a gospel of grace. And as we're in sharing in this, it's a process that transforms us together, and it unites us together. He was thankful for them because of their partnership in the gospel. And that word partnership, it actually in the Greek, it's koinonia. And that might be a word that's familiar to some of you. It's this idea of fellowship. That we have this fellowship in the gospel. And if you look, the, probably the most recognizable place where it's in Scripture is in Acts 2.42. And so I want to read that passage, because he's saying, we have this fellowship, we have this community together. And in Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
But as I thought through this, when it's talking here in Acts, this is, a, this is the early church, right? The church just began. The Holy Spirit has come, and they're gathered together. They're physically there together, and everyone was there physically in each other's presence. And they had this fellowship. And I'm like, no, Paul is, is hundreds of miles away. He's in prison. These are people that he might not have seen for 10, 11 years. And he says, I'm thankful for you because of this fellowship we have in the gospel. Like he, he wasn't there with him. He wasn't physically there. I'm like, well, that's, that doesn't give a good example. Because it doesn't, doesn't match here. It doesn't match what Paul is saying. So what fellowship did he have? He wasn't there with him. And I want to tell you, it was the fellowship they had in Jesus Christ. It wasn't a physical fellowship that they actually shared in that one place together. It was this spiritual fellowship that they had because of Jesus Christ. So let me give you another passage where that same word, this same idea of fellowship is used. So we can understand this, because he says this, it's important that we understand this is the one thing that he bases his thankfulness for them on, is this fellowship that they have. And so look at 1 John, chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. Now it's talking about Jesus Christ when it says this life. It's talking about we saw this physical life of Jesus Christ. We, we've seen it. Let me just read the passage. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. We're telling you about Jesus Christ. We've seen Him. We've witnessed Him. Okay? And then verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have this fellowship with us. That you can share in this with us. And indeed, our fellowship, this sharing of Jesus Christ is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when He says, I'm thankful because of this fellowship that we share, think of this as a spiritual fellowship. I know Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ. We've had this encounter with Him through the Gospel. And so we share that together. Paul is thankful for all the saints because they have that in common. Jesus. That's it. I'm thankful for you because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's it. He's saying, I'm thankful for you because of that. He doesn't mention anything else. It's a spiritual perspective that he has. But we tend not to think that way. We tend not to feel that way. And we think, at least my thankfulness, as I thought through this, when I'm grateful for someone, it's based on not, not something spiritual, but on something more practical or something actually physical and tangible, right? On natural things. So I want us to think through. What are the natural things that you base your thankfulness for someone else and particularly for each other? What do you base that on? What do you base your thankfulness on for each other? Alright? So I want people to shout out. 
Not something spiritual. Something natural. Favor. They do a favor for you. I do a favor for them. I'm thankful for you. Oh, that feels good. Sorry I can't do this on the fly in Spanish, okay? Spanish speakers, listen to her. Yes, ma'am. A gift. Giving me a gift? I'm thankful for you. They spend time with you? Amen, amen, amen. Someone gives you forgiveness? All right, we'll allow that semi-spiritual answer. They teach you something? So I'm thankful because you shared this information with me. It was helpful. They make you laugh. Make you feel better. Now those are all positive things. What about negative things? Or like when they don't. I mean sometimes I'm thankful when people do things for me. But a lot of times I'm thankful when they don't do certain things. When they don't fight. <laughs> all right. With you or each other, right? <laughs> they don't leave a mess that you have to clean up. A couple other things. They don't bother you. Leave you alone. I am thankful for you when you leave me alone. When someone lets you sleep. What's that? When they fix something for you? Alright? So this is where we normally operate, right? This is how we're normally thankful for each other. And so, if you think about this, if you, if, you, if you do these things, I'm thankful for you. If you don't do some of these other things, I'm thankful for you. So my question is, is there a standard? Is there a standard that someone could do these things or not do these things for you? And you're like, you'd be thankful for them, you'd be thankful, we'd all be thankful for them. Right? It's, 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 all, it's all relative, right? There's, there's no standard that, that, that can be done for you that you're going to always feel thankful. There's no standard that you could do for someone else, for every other person, they would always feel thankful. Some might feel thankful, some might not. As some as they do this for you, what if they did it over and over and over and over again, and you got so used to it that they always cooked for me? I'm not thankful anymore. Right, it, it loses its thankfulness. We do these things inconsistently. We do these things unreliably. We do them to different degrees. 
What if Jesus would have based his love for us? What if he would have based his forgiveness for us? What if he would have based his thankfulness for us based on how we did or how we didn't do these things? It would be limited, right? We wouldn't deserve it, right? Some might deserve it more, some might deserve it less, but no one would deserve it. No one could do it consistently. But thankfully, it's based on grace. It's unconditional. It's unlimited. By grace, he's restored our relationship with God. It's not by anything we've done. It's not by anything that we could do. It's by grace. That's how we've been restored by God. That's how we've been restored to Him. It's unmerited. God's given us His favor through Jesus Christ. That's not different for me than it is from you. It's the same for all of us. No one is outside of that. And Paul is saying, I am thankful for you because you know that grace, because you've experienced that grace, because your relationship has been restored with God. That's it. That's the qualification for his thankfulness. Are we thankful for each other for the same reason? Do we have that in mind? Or do we depend on these things? I would say that Paul would encourage us to be thankful for that very reason, right? We talk about being a, a gospel-centered community, right? We share the gospel. We share Jesus Christ. That's it. That's, that's what defines us. Is Jesus Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. This grace that we share. And aren't you usually more thankful for a gift that you weren't expecting? That, that you didn't deserve? That you didn't ask for? I know when I was growing up, my grandparents, we were the only... I didn't have any cousins. Right? It was just me, my brother, and my sister. And so we got spoiled by my grandparents. And my grandmother would want to give us things all the time. And my parents would get frustrated, like, stop giving them things. Stop giving them these presents. Like, it's not their birthday. It's not Christmas. Okay? And she would do it on Valentine's Day. She'd do it on St. Patrick's. She'd try, you know, started finding holidays. And they'd be like, stop that. And then she came up with this response that they could never say anything about. We'd come over, and she would give us something. We weren't expecting it. We hadn't asked for anything. And she'd say, this is a love gift. I'm giving this to you because I love you. And I remember she would give us things and it was incredible when you weren't expecting it. Like, I was so thankful for those love gifts. When it was Christmas time and I had made my list or when it was my birthday and I was expecting something or even then, you know, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, I was expecting a card and money or something. But man, when, it, when I wasn't expecting it, I was so thankful for what she gave me. I was amazed by it. I remember this one time, out of the blue, for a love gift. 
she gave me. I was like nine or ten years old, okay? And it was a, 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 a plaque, a wooden plaque that you could hang on the wall. And this became the centerpiece of my room, okay? Everything else, when I decorated my room, it was decorated around this item. And it was this wooden plaque that had a, a shelf on it that a football fit in. And you could display your football. And behind that football was a picture of a University of Georgia mascot running with a football. And below it, there were two hooks, and you could hang your hats. Okay? Your Georgia hats. Right there. And so right there, every day, as I'm laying on my bed, as I wake up, I could see this dream I had. This, there it is. There's the football. There are my hats. But she gave that to me because she knew me. Because she had relationship with me. And she gave it to me because she loved me. She knew exactly what it was that I needed, exactly what it was that I desired without me even having to tell her. And I was thankful for it. My gratitude for that gift, it didn't, it didn't uh, tail off. It didn't, it didn't lessen much over time. Like that was a cool gift. Do we feel the same way about God's grace? Or is it something that we've just grown to expect? That we somehow, sometimes we think, no, I deserve that. I deserve for God to love me. I deserve for Jesus to have gone to the cross and died for me. And I know that you guys may not say that, but there's sometimes when it just becomes so common... Yes, Jesus Christ went to the cross. Yes, God has shown me His grace and I know Him now and my relationship has been restored. Yes, that's really cool, but, but you know, it's been 20 years. Does it still amaze me? Does that grace, does that gift that God gave us, does it still amaze us? Does it still just overwhelm us? Can we sing about it and sing about it and talk about it and talk about it and pray about it? And it's still... Have joy about it. If you're thankful for that grace, then you can be thankful for each other. If we're not thankful for that grace that we've received from God that has restored our relationship with Him, there's no way, there's no way that we're going to be thankful for the grace that we share. If I'm not overwhelmed with that, if I'm not grateful for that, I am not going to be grateful for that grace that you have too. That's what Paul wants us to hear. That's what he wants us to think through. Because realize, if we're not thankful for each other, we have an issue with grace. If we're not thankful for each other, then I don't know that we believe grace, that we really trust grace. Because if we understood that grace, then we would be thankful for each other that, that we share this grace. And he says, it's this grace, right, that brought you into relationship with me. It's this grace that brings you into relationship with each other. You're a part of me. You're a part of my church. Now you're a saint. You're not just a saint in isolation. You're a saint together. You're saints. A saint doesn't exist in isolation. He says, now that you're together, now that you share this grace, you're going to be in this process together because the gospel, right, this grace, it doesn't leave us the same. It changes us. 
And it begins this process of transformation in our lives the moment that we encounter it, the moment that we experience it. Look in verse 5, or the end of verse 5, in verse 6. He says, from the first day until now. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, we share this grace and we now are in process together. This grace is taking us through this process. Okay? It's not that this grace is this... uh, is something that we get to use against each other. I've heard that. I've experienced that. I'm going to do what I want to do and you have to give me grace. Okay? That's not what this means. This is the way that I am. This is my personality. This is the way that I'm going to be. And I'm not going to go change. So get over it. Leave me alone. And give me grace. That's not what it is. Grace means that the process is about God. And He's the one working in us. Look at it in verse 6. It says, I'm sure of this, that He, the God who began this work in you, He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God began it by grace. God is going to continue it by grace. And He's going to bring it to completion by grace. God is doing this. God started this. God will finish it. And He'll finish what He's doing in us. It's not about us. So you can think, I can't change myself. I would say, correct, you can't change yourself. But don't say, I can't be changed. If you say, I can't be changed, what you're saying is that I don't believe that God is big enough, that God is powerful enough, that God is gracious enough to change me. So if you're in this place where you think, I can't be changed, it is a lie from the pit of hell. Because our God can change us. Our God can transform us. It says right here that He began it, He's going to continue it, and He's going to complete it. And if we don't believe that, if we don't trust that, then we don't understand grace. We don't understand how we started this process. So we would go back to grace, and we'd be overwhelmed by grace, and grace would change us. And we'd be thankful for each other because of this grace that we share. That's it. Nothing more. But as we walk with each other, as we share this life with each other, we have to encourage each other to continue to believe in this grace. Continue to believe that God is big enough, that God is powerful enough, that God will do that in your life, in my life. He wants to. He is changing us. That's what we should be telling each other. That's what we should be encouraging each other with. Not that I'm okay with you just to stay the same. I'm not okay with any of us to stay the same. I see that God is changing us. He wants to change us. He will change us. But He's going to do it. And we believe that to start. Right? None of us think that we are saved because of our own works. Right? We've heard that over and over. No, it's by grace. God has done that. Jesus died on the cross. It's by grace we're saved. And we know that in the end, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be in that place where everything is made new, where everything has been restored. I can't do that. It's by grace. But we get really confused from the beginning to the end. This whole part in between. 
That was by grace when I started. It's by grace when I finished. But you know what? All this part in between, well, yeah, there's some grace sometimes, but sometimes it's me, sometimes it's God, and we're just, you know. It's grace as well. Okay? When we talk about communion, what does communion mean, guys? It comes from that same word, fellowship. What we share together, what we have in common, okay? When we take communion, who are we remembering? Jesus, right? We're remembering Jesus Christ and we're remembering what He's done. We think about and we remember the past and the penalty of sin. We remember the past. Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. It's freed us. We're free from the penalty of sin. Right? We're saints. We have this relationship with Him. Our relationship was broken. Now it's been restored. We're free from the penalty of sin. That's the past. We also talk about the future. And we're free from the presence In the future, when Jesus Christ returns, when His kingdom is fully established, I promise we'll be free from the presence of sin. There will be no more sin. Okay? We start, we're free from the penalty of sin. I'm a saint. You're a saint. When we end, we're going to be free from the presence of sin. But this entire time in between, and during communion, we remember that, right? And we look forward to this. Right? We're, we're remembering Christ. We're remembering what He's done for us. But then there's this time in the present where we're becoming free from the power. We're becoming free from the power of sin. The power of sin in our lives. Everybody agrees. We need grace for this, right? Everybody agrees. We need grace for this, right? I want you to believe we need grace for this. Okay? We need grace for this entire process. For the entire process, we need grace. To start it, to finish it, and to walk through it, we need grace. And we're in this process together. That's what makes it kind of ugly. You're not a saint. You're saints together, right? We've been brought together and now we're in this process depending on grace slowly becoming free from the power of sin as God transforms us and changes us with each other. And it's ugly and it's messy. Okay? If you're walking with anyone else and you're walking with multiple people it will be not comfortable at times. At times it'll be wonderful. At times it'll be terrible. Because we're slowly becoming free from the power of sin. That's the reality. And I thought about this. If you weren't at camp, you missed amazing food, amazing meals. 
Uh, Sergio's friend Carlos was there. He says, I've, I've never eaten better than this in Canoga Park. He's like, this is not camp food. Right? And we, we split up the meals and each, each discipleship community was responsible for preparing this meal. And as I thought about that in our own group, it was nice. It was fun to be a part of the beginning of the process. What do you guys want to fix? What are we going to have? Well, this is fun. Let's think through it, right? What are we going to cook? What are we going to bring? Oh, that's, oh, just how, anybody got ideas? Like, that's exciting. Let's think about what we're going to eat. And then at the very end, when I was sitting at the table and I had my paper plate eating this gourmet meal that had no business being at a campsite, I'm like, this is good. I like it. I, I liked the beginning and I liked the end. But the process in the middle? Try to coordinate a meal with about 10 other people for 60 people. And then take that meal an hour away to a place where there's no electricity and prepare it. And now do that all together and coordinate. It's a mess. We depend on each other. Did you go to the store for this? Did you go to the store for that? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Uh, I forgot. Okay, let's figure out what we're going to do. Okay, now you cut this, I'm going to grill that, and you prepare that. Was it always perfect? No. Did we step on each other's toes? Both physically and emotionally? Probably. And then we get done preparing it, and we're finally there, and it's done. We think it's done, and then what happens? Now we got to serve we got to serve it. we got to serve you guys. Like, you guys didn't think about this meal. You didn't prepare this meal. You didn't cook this meal. And now I'm going to serve this meal to you. And I'm serving it with the... That's not a lot of fun. Right? But it's good to think what we want to eat. And it's good to eat it. But the process is not always that simple. But, could any of us done that? Could any one of us prepared that entire meal? Thought about the meal, purchased the meal, taken the food there, prepared the, prepared the food, brought the gas grill, bought the, brought the knives, brought the cookware, brought the paper plates, cooked it, let it be hot, serve it for everyone. Could any one of us have done all of those parts together and ended up with the same thing? I know some of you moms are incredible, but I still don't think you could do that it would not be the same it wouldn't be the same experience everyone was needed we depended on each other and the product of the process was so much more enjoyable so much more valuable because we did it together and we participated together so what better place to participate together than with a group of people who have experienced grace and who know grace. We share grace. And so we're going to go through this process of grace together. And you might think, well, okay, I'll share. I'll be in this process with other people. I'll do that, Britt. You've convinced me of that. Okay, I can see that. But uh, I'm going to compartmentalize it a little bit. And I'll do it on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And then sometimes when I can and I can fit it in my schedule, I'll get together with other people on a Wednesday or Thursday night for group. And we'll be together for about two hours. So in my total week, as I go through this, you know, three and a half hours that I'll, I'll go through this process with other people. 
I'll compartmentalize my partnership. Just certain areas of my life, certain times of my week. That's where I draw the line. I'll stop it right there. I can contain that. I can contain the mess. I can contain the discomfort. That's what I'll do. But look what he says in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You're all partakers with me of grace. Then he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You're partakers of grace with me. Paul is in prison, separated from them, and he's saying, you are a part of this with me. I'm chained to a guard. I am about to go on trial. I may be executed, and you are a part of this with me. He saw himself as completely joined with them. I'm a part of you. You're a part of me because we share grace. My problems are your problems. I'm in prison. You're sharing this with me. I may be executed. You're going to share that with me. And my process, as he goes through that, he says, it's your process. Like, I, I have this heart about you because we share in this grace. And like, not just in what's going great and not just in my life that's easy and manageable. He says, but I'm in prison and I'm defending myself and defending the gospel. You're a part of that too. You're a part of every part of my life. Every part of the process. He didn't separate it. He didn't put it to the side. And I will tell you that as we share life together, as we walk with each other in grace, there will be experiences, there will be difficulties that you could avoid if you just walked on your own. This week, to some degree, I, I walk through the process of eviction, of, of illness and hospitalization, of, of broken marriages, of people that were fighting, or pe- all those things this week, because I have relationships and because of that shared experience, those are things that didn't happen in my life, but yet I experienced them. I was a part of it to some degree. Who wants that? But if we share in this grace, that's part of it. And he still says, I'm thankful for you. They're sharing grace. They're sharing their problems. They're sharing the process. And he says, I'm thankful for you. Are we willing to be a part of each other's lives in that way? the only requirement is that we share grace and that we can be thankful for each other in that way so that's what Paul was thankful for he was thankful for their partnership he was thankful for this shared grace and he says in this grace we're going to go through a messy process through this grace we're going to share our problems and difficulties but he was thankful and as I finish, look back now at verse 3 and 4. Because I want you to read 3 and 4 with everything that we've talked about in mind. And listen to what he's saying. Paul is saying to these saints in Philippi, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. 
That's a lot of alls. That's a lot of everys. And he says, I'm thankful for y'all. All the time. All of you. I'm thankful for you because of grace. And I don't think, and I don't want you guys to get this wrong. This does not mean that Paul naturally, and I don't think that Paul physically, right? He wasn't, he wasn't the super, super Christian, right? It wasn't that he 100% of the time was always practically and physically thankful for everyone. And in every prayer, you think really 100% of the time, 100% of his prayers, 100% of everything that Paul was always thankful for them, that that's, that was really his life? Because if it was, then he didn't need grace. If it was, then he wasn't in process. Okay? What Paul is saying is emphatic. He's making, he's putting emphasis on this, and it's inclusive. He's saying, everyone, all of you, the only thing that is a part of this, the only thing that's required is grace. And I can be thankful all the time for all of you because grace does not change. Grace is consistent. Grace isn't unreliable. It's about God, it's about what He's done, and it stays the same. And so I can remain thankful for you, even though I know the reality about you. I know that you are a sinner who's been saved by grace. And I'm thankful for you. I know that now you are a saint that is being transformed by grace. You're not perfect, you're in process, and I'm thankful for you. I know the reality. I see the reality, but I spiritually, not physically, but spiritually, I can be thankful for you. That's what my thankfulness is based on. How amazing would that be? If that's what we based our thankfulness on for each other. How incredible would that be to be thankful and for others to be thankful for you and to experience that together because of the grace that we share. That's our spiritual reality. If we're saints, that's what's real. And I pray that God would make us thankful for each other because we share His grace.